Hi, listeners. Welcome to our podcast, The Taxation Loopholes. Our speakers today include Megan, Kayla, Mishwa, and Jamie. Our topic that we will be discussing today is donor-advised funds, which have become one of the most controversial issues in the charitable world. To start off, I will be providing some background information on nonprofit organizations. A nonprofit organization is a legal entity organized and operated for a collective, public, or social benefit. Examples of a nonprofit organization include churches, public schools, public charities, volunteer service organizations, labor unions, public clinics, and hospitals, and more. Nonprofits receive their income from several different sources, some of which include donations, contributions, and grants. Some nonprofit entities may seek to receive government approval to become tax exempt, and some may also qualify to receive tax deductible contributions. However, entities do not have to have a tax-exempt status to qualify as a nonprofit. Under the IRS code, nonprofit businesses are classified under the Section 501c3. This section allows for federal tax exemption of nonprofit organizations, specifically organizations considered public charities, private foundations, and private operating foundations. There are over 1.5 million nonprofit organizations in the United States itself and approximately 10 million worldwide. Taking those numbers into consideration, it can be assumed that fraud will occur with this type of legal entity. So now let's get into the controversial topic. One possible approach that wealthy individuals use to avoid paying taxes on their substantial amount of income earned is through the use of donor-advised funds. A donor-advised fund can be thought of as a charitable investment account for the sole purpose of supporting charitable organizations. These accounts allow for great tax benefits and little to no accountability. An alternative method is starting a family foundation. The biggest difference between a donor-advised fund and a private foundation is the IRS requirement for an annual payout amount. With donor-advised funds, there is no IRS requirement. Therefore, wealthy individuals can leave assets in these funds indefinitely. However, with private family foundations, the IRS requires the foundation to pay out 5% of the value of their net assets annually. As a result, donor-advised funds are more sought after. Now, Jamie will talk more in depth about donor-advised funds. Thanks, Mishua, for setting the stage. Hi everyone, I'm Jamie. Let me give you an overview of how donor-advised funds are designed, or DAFs as they're more commonly called. The form they're in now came about in 1991, but it's been in the past 15 years that their popularity has really boomed. Do you realize that there's over 100 billion, billion in assets sitting around as DAFs? So this is how they work. If you have a substantial amount of money and you have a yearning to reap a tax advantage from charitable contributions and you don't want to start up your own foundation that requires management, you're in luck. You can assign assets to an organization to make grants to charities at your request. Up to 60% of AGI can be donated as a DAF and completely written off. I mean, any kind of asset can be turned into a DAF, cash or stocks, of course, crypto, real estate, but even art. And then these assets are managed by what's called a sponsoring organization. 
they charge between 0.6 and up to 1.5% of your contributed assets to manage your donor advice funds. These are registered independent charities, and you'll recognize some of the names. Vanguard and Fidelity are two of them. So yes, Vanguard Charitable Funds and Fidelity Charitable Funds are bona fide charities. They take your assets, convert them to donor advised funds, and you reap the instant benefit in the form of deductions that tax year, even if the money never leaves these sponsoring organizations. I mean, did you catch that? You get a deduction for a charitable contribution, even if the funds sit at Vanguard forever and never end up, say, at your local school or humane society. So this is where the largest part of controversy comes in regarding DAFs. Uh, compared to family foundations that have set minimums for yearly disbursements, DAF funds have no distribution requirement. The sponsoring organizations don't encourage you to be generous either. They're busy making enormous amounts of money because guess who charges Fidelity Charitable massive management fees. You guessed it, Fidelity Management, that's who. So the more money Fidelity Charitable has, the more fees Fidelity Management charges them. And it becomes this vicious cycle. And as the money grows in Fidelity Charitable, the more that Fidelity Management makes. And add to that, the sponsoring organizations aren't required to disclose the names of the donors or where the money has been allocated. And to further muddy these waters, Vanguard and Fidelity exchange DAFs with each other to create the illusion that the funds have been donated to true charities. Talk about the perfect storm of massive tax benefits meeting zero accountability. Kayla, what are examples of DAFs that are used ethically? Thanks, Jamie. I wanna start off by talking about a company with a history of using donor advised funds properly and ethically, which is Facebook. The CEO of Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg, has given multiple donations of company shares using an organization called the Silicon Valley Community Foundation, which acts as a donor advised fund. Zuckerberg has given a total of $1.75 billion to the foundation since he began donating in 2010. Soon after, he used his contributions to benefit schools and hospitals in the San Francisco area. WhatsApp, a company acquired by Facebook in 2014, has also used Silicon Valley as a donor advised fund. Its co-founders, Jan Combe, and Brian Acton donated $846 million to the fund in that same year. Now, while all the donors did receive a tax advantage for their contributions, the donations of Facebook shares are a good example of an ethical use of the donor advised funds. The donations didn't sit in the fund for an extended period of time but instead were quickly taken out and used for their intended purpose as expressed by the donors. Now the other company I wanna talk about also used Silicon Valley Community Foundation as a donor advised fund, but it was in a not so ethical way. 
And this company is the camera manufacturer GoPro. The CEO of GoPro, Nicholas Woodman, donated roughly $500 million to Silicon Valley in late 2014 to create the Jill and Nicholas Woodman Foundation. Woodman received extensive praise for this incredible act of generosity so early in his career, but in the years to come, there would be no additional records of the Woodman Foundation or where that hefty donation went. There was only ever one listed beneficiary of these funds, and it was the Bonnie Dune Art, Wine, and Brew Festival that fundraised for a California elementary school. It was later found out that Woodman also faced a large tax bill in 2014. That same year, he made the donation. The tax benefits of donating helped alleviate that burden that he faced. In other words, Woodman was able to immediately benefit from the tax breaks he got by making the donation, but the contribution itself sat in the fund for years. The GoPro situation is the perfect example of how companies can abuse donor-advised funds to receive extra tax benefits. The way these funds are set up, donors still have control of the money they give, and the funds aren't required to disclose the details or uses of the contributions made. This provides company executives with the opportunity to donate money and immediately receive tax benefits while letting the money sit in the fund for extended periods of time and never actually facilitating any charitable efforts. Thank you for listening. And now Megan will wrap up by talking about the IRS's take on donor advised funds. Thank you, Kayla. The use of donor advised funds has become a common practice among many wealthy donors to supposedly pass along very hefty donations to needy causes. The donor advised fund considered to be the sponsoring organization is a fund that is maintained under the Internal Revenue Service, also referred to as the IRS, section 501c3, meaning that the fund meets the qualifications of a public charity. However, the IRS has become aware of a large number of these sponsoring organizations that abuse the inherent nature by which they were established. Instead of being utilized to properly allocate large donations to worthy recipients, the funds have more so become a mechanism for the wealthy donors to receive immediate and honestly impermissible tax and economic benefits. With the Pension Protection Act of 2006, also referred to as the PPA, the IRS recognized the importance of donor-advised funds and set the guidelines by which these funds should be handled. With the passing of the PPA, Congress, for the first time, realized the significance of these charitable tools and properly defined the donor-advised funds as the supporting organizations we now acknowledge. The PPA further clarified the stipulations and restrictions placed upon the donations or grants from the funds, making it clear that the funds were not to be used for the donor's personal gain. In more recent years, due to the donor abuse of these funds, the IRS issued additional guidance to further implement the legislation. Any instances of procedural misuse can result in an IRS examination. In the event of an IRS examination, the IRS may invoke the following consequences. Number one is to disallow the donor's deduction for charitable contributions made under the Internal Revenue Code, referred to as IRC 170, specifically noting that the donor may not receive something of value for the donation. Number two is to impose Section 4958 excise taxes on donors, 
specifically targeting any excess benefit transactions. Number three is to impose Section 4966 excise tax on supporting organizations and managers of donor advised funds, specifically targeting prohibited distributions. And number four is possible revocation of a charity's 501c3 exemption. Bottom line, the IRS will not tolerate abuse of the tax system while withholding much needed funds from worthy and admirable charities. In addition to the IRS crackdown, Congress has also passed legislation to limit the misuse of the problematic way in which the wealthy donate to charities. This reform is comprised of differing types of funds to which the wealthy would donate. The first type will only give donors their immediate tax deduction if they agree to give to charity within 15 years. In the case where the donation may be in excess of $1 million, their immediate tax deduction would be granted if the donor distributes at least 5% of their assets annually. The second type would allow for a delay of their donation for 50 years. However, the donor would receive no tax deduction until the time of the actual gift. If the donation was given in the form of stock, the donor would receive the benefit of an immediate capital gains savings. Donating to a charity and agreeing to help those in need is noteworthy and admirable. Ensuring the donations are handled appropriately and distributed timely is imperative. Perhaps continued monitoring and examination by the IRS, as well as continued oversight of legislation handed down by Congress will help to mitigate further abuse of the use of these donor advised funds and create a position of transparency and accountability by donors so that donors and recipients can both enjoy the rewards. This concludes our Taxation Loopholes podcast. On behalf of Mishwa, Jamie, and Kayla, I am Megan signing off. Thank you for listening.